Good morning. So great to see you guys. Those of you that we can't see and you who are watching us by live stream this morning from wherever it is that you are, I'm grateful to have you with us as well. Well, please turn with me to John chapter 17 as we continue to listen in on overhearing Jesus, the ultimate God-man who came to us on a mission and we get to eavesdrop on him praying. I mean, I know I keep saying that, but isn't that a novel thing? Can you imagine? Of all the things, all of us have some kind of prayer life going on in our world and we always are wondering, am I praying right? Do I understand this thing? How do we really do this thing called prayer? And if you had a chance to just kind of sit at the door as Jesus prayed, would you miss that meeting? Would that be an opportunity you'd pass up on? No, I got, I got Pelicans tickets. I won't be able to go to that. It's like to listen in on Jesus having a conversation with his father. What would he ask about? What would he prioritize? What would he not get to? Right? That, those, this would be profound lessons, right? Well, this is what we're doing. We've been doing that the last several weeks. So let's look at John chapter 17 and begin... In verse 15, says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, So I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's pray. Father, a lot of things come to mind as to a heavenly home and a reality that awaits us. And these are your disciples. And you pray something that should catch their attention and ours. Father, do not take them out of the world. But send them into the world. And then you mention that there's something miraculous is going to happen. When that occurs, others are going to believe through their word. Well, Lord, down through the ages, centuries later, Lord, we are the others. We are the answer to these words. And yet we are still here as well, sent on a mission into this world, a mission like yours. Father, help us to hear that we are called to be disciples who live our lives on a mission like yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we got introduced to a word that we don't use a lot, the word sanctify. And it's a big big biblical word. Last week it, it was connected to the idea of holiness. It is a concept that God is doing a work in us that's all about holiness. It's about turning us into something. It's about closing the gap, the distance between how far away man's image of bearing an image for God has fallen, and now God is restoring that. He is at work in each of our lives, conforming us to the image of Christ. So all that is under the umbrella of holiness. And Jesus talks about him, his own person being consecrated, set apart for that purpose in our lives. But then he turns around and associates that word sanctification with something else. And that has to do not so much just with the image of God, but with the mission of God, that God is doing something on earth. And, and for their sake, I sanctify myself because they're going to be doing something, not just returning the image of God to the earth, but they're going to be going and doing something in the earth. And so you have Jesus saying, I'm setting myself apart for their sake, for the mission that they're going to be on. So this is a, a strategic word here. 
This is like us entering into, we get to overhear this plan of God. This is the war room strategy of a conversation between God the Father and God the Son with the agenda that the kingdom would return to the earth. The king would be restored to his creation. And we're, we're listening in on Jesus saying, I'm, I'm, I'm especially setting myself apart so that that could happen in their lives. Don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. But send them into the world the way in which I was sent into the world. So this is, this is informing for every disciple here. And, and I realize this. I don't know. Maybe you've never thought about prioritizing. What's really important about the categories of your salvation that you understand? And I say categories because some people came to Christ when they heard the announcement that God has a purpose for your life. And your heart resonated with that because you felt like life was empty. And this repetitive activity of being a human being on earth, it's just kind of lost its thing. And wait, what do you mean God's got a purpose for me? So the thing that appealed to you was a supply of meaning. Or maybe you recognize that you're a guilty sinner. You've done things that you know God is not okay with. And you're going to have your hands full when you face him. And there's a sense of I'm in trouble. And that goes off in some people. And you have a sense of guilt in your own life. And then you heard the gospel and it said, you can receive forgiveness. Oh, I need that. If you knew anything about my life, you would, I, I, I need somehow, and I need the guilt to be removed. I need the sense of shame that I know about myself. I need to get it off of me. So this idea that you preach to me, this gospel of cleansing, I, I, I love that. So you understand you could, you could hear that God has a purpose and you could answer this emptiness of life kind of thing in the gospel, or you could take your guilt and your shame and you could receive forgiveness and you could never think about the mission that you're on. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? There's lots of people in the world who love the idea that I don't want to go to hell and I believe in a God and I've read a little bit of the Bible and there's a heaven and there's a hell and I don't want to go there. And sometimes that's how we present the gospel and the Bible presents the gospel that way. So I can be signing on today for not going to hell in the future and not be on a mission here on earth. I, I just did something to keep me out of hell when I finally drop off and breathe my last breath. Do right, you get what I'm saying? And then in Christendom, you can come to church and, and, and you can have this sense that, you know, church provides me with community and friendship and some encouragement, some inspirational words. It helps me when life is hard and I feel like I can do this week. And it's all about comfort. It's all about self-fixation. It's all about feeling welcome. There's a lot that I'm getting, right? There's all kinds of benefits in the kingdom of God that we experience right here. I can embrace all those things and not be on a mission. Jesus is praying about the mission. I think I'm going to put this in your outline. Jesus, he foresees the future of a disciple's existence in this prayer. He, he looks into our future and he prays for a purpose that's there. A life with a particular earthly emphasis. A particular goal in mind. All of us are living a life that has particular earthly emphasis. You know, at some point you figure out there's certain things in life, in this world that, that you really want to be a part of. And there's other things you're going to ignore, right? We all live that life. When you're a kid, if you're in school, you, know, you tap into things that tap into your unique script and talents. You know, if your parents or somebody figures out you're a good athlete and they throw you into athletics and all of a sudden there's a sense of reward and enjoyment coming from that. You study, you work hard, you prepare yourself and go to the gym and devote yourself to something and more enjoyment comes from that and more reward comes from that. Or maybe you figured out early on in life you've got musical talents. So there's a musicianship element that, that you want to develop that in your life. Or, or maybe you're smart. And so you develop some kind of a career and an interest in becoming really good at something. And so maybe in your future, there was a thought of, I'd be a successful professional. Or maybe you got a personality that's really influential with people. 
And you, you tap into that, you know, when you were young, you were a class clown and people got around you and you were kind of like a life of the party and you, you want to hone that skill, right? You want to be funnier. You want to be more relevant. Whatever it is, we have tapped into some particular emphasis. You have not equally emphasized all those things I just described. You chose one or two of them and, and you made that a feature of your life. And so this is where we track in the idea of we, we develop an identity, We develop a sense of self-definition. Who am I? And then we start measuring our life in terms of, do we have a good life or a bad life? Well, you know, figure out your identity first and then figure out what's good and bad. Because is my life going where I want it to go? Is it taking further steps? Am I successful? Am I at the level that I want to be at in this? You know, some of us are just fine. Hey, we played high school football. I made the team. That's all I really was after. I feel like, hey. Some of you, no, I wanted to, I wanted to play in, in college or I wanted to turn pro. You have different levels of, is my life good? And you've got that in your career. You've got that in your relationships. You've got that in whoever you are in this church, right? That could be invading. It's like, do I really like the way things are right now? But in this passage, Jesus prays about something that he thinks is going to be common for every Christian. And, it has, and it's a defining thing. And when I open the scriptures up, you know, I don't find, and again, I'm not critical of this. I played sports, uh, pretty exceptional at it, by the way. Um, but um, when I open the Bible up, you know, there's, there's FIFA's not in there. Uh, it's not interested in World Cup. There's no Super Bowl going to get mentioned there. Sports being developed, they barely get a mention, right? They get used as an illustration somewhere. It's not a super development of professionalism, et cetera, although the Bible wants you to have a job, wants you to use your talents, and wants you to be really good at it. But you know what the Bible really is about? Well, we all know this, right? The Bible is about the gospel. The Bible, from cover to cover, is raising the importance of this idea that God is up to something redemptive. He is redeeming a situation. He is reuniting people to himself. He is restoring, right? All these R words are all throughout scripture. And so at the end of the day, when the Bible says something really, really big and successful took place, it's, it's one of those R words. Paul even said this to the Corinthians. He said, you know, we've been, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. What did he mean by that? He didn't mean that we're all going to be pals, although the Bible does present that to us. He meant the ministry of reconciliation that we have received is the gospel message that cries out to man, be reconciled to God. And we've been given that, right? So that's the great message of the Bible. That's the great message that comes to us. So at some point, you're like me. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm 1978, and I'm hearing the gospel for the first time. I'm hearing it in the sense of it actually stood out, and I recognized that it was a message. I had heard it before, and I'd never heard it. You know what I'm talking about? I'd gone to church. I had heard things said. Uh, you can go to almost any Christian church, by the way, and you will hear pieces of the gospel. And I sat in church for years and years and years and could not have told you what the gospel is, even though I'd heard pieces of it. And then in 1978, God was awakening my soul, and I heard it. And in 1979, I got saved. So here I am, 40, coming up on 44 years later, and I'm still here. Now, that should be a little bit puzzling, given all the R words I just described. Because those R words describe restoration, reconciliation, return. Right? I'm going somewhere. I'm being reconciled to a relationship. And all that is, is toward God. Right? The gospel brings my life back in touch with God. I get to come back into the presence of God. And 44 years later, I'm still here. I love you guys, but I'm still here. Um, I'm here in an interesting place, right? Here is an interesting place and and. If the gospel is restoring us to the Father, reconciling us to him, then there is a little bit of a legitimate question. What am I still doing here? Why didn't I just come to grips with faith in Christ and expire? 
you know, God just pulls an Enoch and he just takes me up to heaven and I disappear. And people are like, where's, where's Keith? His bed's not, well, his bed not being made at that age was not unusual for me. But anyway, um, he's, where did he go? Well, he believed on Jesus and breathed his last. He's reconciled to the father, right? I mean, we could have an altar call this morning. We just, you know, what do we tell people? Listen, uh, you don't need a ride home. Just come on up. Tell Jesus, yes, the church is really empty. There's like two people here and they come up and we pray with them and they're gone. It's like, okay, we're back to zero. Great job, guys. I mean, this is, this is not how it plays out, is there? What am I still doing here? And the here is an interesting place, isn't it? Here. Uh, I've been told about this place, a celestial city that's better than Lands flowing with milk and honey. It's got streets of gold in it. Nobody cries there. There's no pain. There's no suffering. No heartache. We no longer believe things and stare through this blurry lens called faith. Right? You understand in heaven, there's no faith in heaven. Isn't that weird? We see face to face in that place. The things that we've gotten used to here, um, a land of tribulation. Jesus said, in this world here, you will have tribulation, right? You're going you're gonna to deal with sin here. Sin is still on the playing field here. You're going to deal with Satan. And the Bible's going to turn around and tell me, hey, Christian, keep your head on a swivel. Because there's this being roaming around like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. And so as long as you're here, he's here. Two. So you get to live in that setting. You get to live in what is described as a scary place. Here is a scary place. And if you haven't clued into that, then explain to me why the Bible almost commands and speaks this to believers almost more than anything else over and over again. Do not be afraid. Go count how many times in the Bible that word is there. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Why does the Bible have to tell us that? Because this is a scary place. This is a place where we still have to pray for the sick because among us, our bodies are going to give out in some kind of a way. And suddenly we're going to be praying for one another. Here, all that's happening. Here in a place that's not my home. Here in a place where Jesus said, oh, by the way, they're going to hate you here. You will be hated by all on account of me. Remember Jesus saying that? I gave them your word, Father, he said in John 17, and the world has hated them. So, what are we still doing here? And then Jesus prays this in verse 15 of John 17. I do not ask that you take them out of here. I do not ask that you do that. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. All right, so our mission draws understanding from his mission. The Father sent the Son on a mission into the world. The Son sends his disciples on a mission into the world. And we overhear him describing that mission by saying, it's like the mission you sent me on. I send them on that mission too. Philippians chapter 2. It's a place where Jesus' mission gets referenced. It's insightful. It says, have this mind, verse 5, in yourselves, which was your, is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's the mission. But he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you ask Jesus, Jesus, why are you here? What are you up to? What's your mission in this world? Probably would not have mentioned carpentry, although he was probably quite good at it. And had to make a living, by the way, right? I mean, you got to do this stuff. He had family. 
He lived in a particular geography. Maybe he liked sports, whatever they were. But if, if you describe the mission that he was on, it would sound like Philippians chapter 2. I'm here. I'm, by the way, I'm here and I'm not there. I was there. And oh my goodness, what a place. What an experience. In that place, as God himself, the creator, all of heaven was before me daily, exhausting themselves with the acclamation of holy, holy, holy. Every day was a day of beauty and wonder and amazement. I walked away from that place to be here among you, emptying myself so that the script of my life would be taking the form of a human being, which is a great downgrade, and then becoming a servant and being obedient. My mission was a mission of obedience that took me even to a cross, as horrible as that is. And then what you guys will never know, it took me before the cup of God's wrath so that every ounce of punishment that the righteous God would ever pour out to punish the sins of his own was going to be visited upon me. That's the mission that I was on. And there's obviously pieces of the mission that you and I can't be on. We, we can't be on that mission. But we are on a mission because Jesus said it's similar to the one that you sent me on. I send them. And in this mission, others are going to believe through their words. They're going to do that. Jesus didn't say they might do that. Father, I don't know. You know how stubborn humanity is. You know how trendy the ideas of men are. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some will believe. That's not what this says, is it? Others are going to believe through their words. Jesus described his mission in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer describes his mission, but ours as well. He says, therefore, Hebrews 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, all those witnesses were on a mission too. Hebrews chapter 11 is a bunch of people who were on God's mission. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's just another term for the mission. Let us run the mission. Let us accomplish the mission. Let us stay on mission. Let us run with endurance. Let us keep going. And let's look to Jesus, the Philippians 2 description, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured. So apparently this mission has got a lot to do with endurance, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or fainthearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood as he did. So here, here, where we are, where Jesus was, this, this place requires endurance. Being on mission means managing weights and sins. It means there is joy on the mission, but sometimes that joy lies on the other side of a cross. And on the other side of shame, here there is hostility to be endured. There is weariness and faint-heartedness. This, this is the place in which the mission takes place. This is the place that Jesus prayed about when he said, do not take them out of here. That's the here. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I know I've read John 17, I don't know how many times in my life. I read past that way too fast, didn't I? Jesus, this is a very difficult place to be. Yeah, Keith, I know that. Uh, I've been there. And I've been there in a way that you are not there. Surely your griefs and your sorrows I have borne. I know exactly what it's like. 
to be fully man and to live in a universe that's fallen and sin is on the field and Satan is tenacious. I, I know exactly what it is. I know what it is to fight battles. I know what it is to endure. I know what it is for things to be against you. And I was there because I was on a mission from my father. And you are there because you were on a mission from me. That's what's true about us. So what am I, what am I still doing here 43 years, 44 years later? Well, Jesus said this to his disciples, and he says it to us, and it clues us in. Remember Matthew 28? We use this verse a lot because it explains our life to us. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. There's your mission. There's the thing that is the thing about the earthly emphasis of our life. And I want to use emphasis carefully because emphasis means there's other things present and that's appropriate. There should be other things present. We, we have to eat and sleep and pay bills and get educated and do all kinds of things. Those things are all true. The Bible doesn't turn around and say, don't do any of that stuff. It, it just seems to put a greater emphasis on this more than it does anything else about our lives. Jesus had things to do, but the emphasis was the mission that he was on. And he explains the mission as go and make disciples. And it's interesting in this little window of Matthew 28, you have Jesus interacting with his disciples and he's, he's both saying to them, go, but, but wait, go, but wait. If you follow Luke at the end of Luke, you have Jesus after his resurrection interacting with his disciples for a few weeks. And in those visits, He's got this message that says, go, but, but wait, go, but wait, right? And the wait part, Acts chapter one, sounds this way. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, right? Jesus is resurrected. The battle has been fought and won. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you, this is while they're waiting, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And your golf game will be like it's never been before. <laughs> right? No. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go, but wait. Because you're going to get something. You're going to get retrofitted for this new project that you're about to be on. Whatever you were going to be in your life and whatever tools you needed, whatever education you got, cool. But you need something that you don't have right now to do this mission. You need a unique power in order to be a unique witness as disciples and make disciples in this world. So there's this mission and there's this moment of retrofit. Humanity gets retrofitted for this. And only Christians get this. I saw some documentary the other night. It was an interesting thing to watch. Won't fill you in on all the details, but there's Oprah Winfrey sitting in the front row of a mega church and she's into it. She's totally into what's going on there in that church. And she's speaking and they're kind of interviewing her afterwards. And she's talking complimentary way about this guy who pastors the church, et cetera, et cetera. If you've ever heard Oprah describe her convictions, Oprah doesn't get into the territory of the exclusive person and work of Jesus Christ. The only hope that we have to be restored to God. She gets into the vague category of spirituality and well intentions to be open to spiritual things. But that's not what's here. So you can be open to the spirit, but you don't have the spirit just because you're open to spiritual things. Jesus spoke to his disciples who had believed something specific about him. That he was God himself having come in the form of a man, that he had died in their place to forgive their sins. And all those R words were now theirs. They had been reconciled to God. They were restored to him. They had returned to a relationship with the living God. That's 
what is true about them. Therefore, they're going to be retrofitted. But, you know, you don't get to be a Christian in this world who gets retrofitted so that you got one up on the guy in the office next door to you. You can, you can do sales better than he can. I don't really find a guarantee that that's what this power is going to be useful for. Maybe it is. I think there's divine grace on our lives. God can give favor to anything you do, and you could climb the ladder because God's just bestowed favor on your life. But it's also possible that the guy next door to you who wants nothing to do with God outsells you every month. And he's just much better at it. Right? I mean, I, I played sports with guys who were better than me. They, not because they were Christians, but because I don't get to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and said, I will receive power. And when I got saved, all of a sudden, I could dunk, baby. And I couldn't before. You know, I don't think my vertical improved at all after I got saved. But there's some kind of power that we've been retrofitted for. That God says, I'm going to give you this unique power for the mission that you're on as disciple makers. And, and that power is going to accompany you and I'm going to accompany you into the spread of the gospel. And I need to be affected by that. Right? Have you thought there's missional power? You know, every, every woman sitting here in the audience, have you thought about how the missional power is traveling with you for this sake? As you as you raise children and impart to them the gospel. Right? There's, there's no guarantees that your kids are going to believe anything. You shall be a witness to them and there's going to be power that goes with you. Some of you are living with unbelieving spouses. They don't believe. They're not with you. You are uniquely, divinely equipped to witness, to bring the gospel into your husband's life, into your children's teachers' lives, that you get around them and you pray for them and unique power goes with you to accomplish the gospel. And a coworker that you see once or twice a week, ladies, you have unique power that goes with you into these settings. If you're a, if you're a teenager here and, and you're, you're in school, there is this unique power that, that's intended to go with you towards your classmates, towards teammates. The most exciting thing in my life as a high school student, that getting saved as a high school student, was sharing the gospel with teammates that I played sports with. Because we were together for a couple of hours and we we're standing in line in the layup line warming up. And we're talking about something that God's just opened up an opportunity for us to talk about. The power of God goes into these settings. Your cousins, young people, you got cousins and you, you got aunts and uncles in your life. You're on a mission. It's not secondary to how good of an athlete you are, whether you're a really great musician or not. And like it doesn't ever show up in your mindfulness. It's bigger than those things. But it doesn't exclude those things. Because, by the way, some of those things will become the vehicles for you to take the gospel into those settings. Because you're really good at chemistry. And God's going to connect you with other people who are really good at chemistry, who need the gospel. And so you being really good at stuff, don't blow that off. But the mission is specific here. If you younger guys here, you Gen Z guys, every day you stare into a TikTok world that is realigning the universe... And most of us don't even know how to turn on TikTok, so we have no idea where you're going. <laughs> Ronnie, we know. We know you don't know how to. We know that, brother. You don't have to amen that point. There's these things called phones, by the way. There was a guy named Alexander Bell. I'm sorry. I didn't want to go too far back on you. If you're a young person here, do you see your life on a mission? See, because your here is different than my here. If that makes sense. You're growing up in a setting where TikTok and the, the information age is in your pocket. It's in your life. It's all the time. When I got saved, I had to have a few people tell me a little bit about this thing called peer pressure. But back then, to get peer pressure going on, you had to, you had to actually get around peers. You had to be in the same room with them, traveling a car, going on a trip with them. 
Now they just come with you, right? All your friends, they're neatly packaged inside this little device. And whatever they want to say, they'll say it to you. They're talking to you right now, aren't they? Right? They're not in church. They're somewhere else. And they're just sending you a message this morning. That's the world that, that's the here that you're, you're on a mission here to that Gen Z. You, you can't afford to not figure out how Gen Z is replacing God in unique ways. Ignoring God in unique ways. Substituting some other idea for God in the ways in which that generation is going to find a unique set of verbiage to slap on some idea that the rest of us don't even know what that even is about. That's your here. Why are you still here? You're saved as a teenager, and I don't assume all teenagers are. But if you're saved, why are you still here? You're here because you're on this, this mission. Right, listen, don't just think of teenagers like baby boomers. Why are you still here? Some of you are miraculously still here. It's like you just kind of teetering in. You know, we got guys walking with sticks. I mean, it's... You're on a mission, right? It might be a slow-moving mission, but you're still on a mission. Now, what's interesting about your mission is so different than Gen Z or millennials is your mission involves a mission field where you spend a lot more time at funerals than you ever have in your life. True, huh? You got a lot more people who are thinking differently. Listen, I mean, you remember being in your 20s and 30s and 40s. You were busy doing life. You weren't thinking about the fact that there's an expiration date stamped on me somewhere. I'm just trying to find out where it is. But at some point, it's over. Uh, now when you become a baby, when you're a baby boomer and you kind of slip into the later part of those years, you're pretty sure you've found the expiration date and you're not, you know, I'm not, I don't have too many days left. I've kind of read my expiration. I can feel it when I wake up in the morning. That's the mood of your here. Why am I still here? Well, you're here in that setting on a mission and it's a little different, but it's where God has you. So Jesus said some things here that, that should affect our sense of confidence and our expectation. Right? He said to his disciples, others will believe through the word. They will. They will believe. And, and, and hey, guys, all authority is mine. So go. Take, take my authority and go. And oh, but, but before you go, wait. I'm going to jack you up on something, man. I'm going to give you some power like you don't even know what power is until you get some of this flowing in your veins. Here, have the Holy Spirit and then go. So if there's the idea that Jesus is praying to the Father, not uninformed, but with a guarantee that others will believe because of their words. And I have the authority for that to be true. And I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit to give them the power to do this. Do we have a sense of expectation? about the mission that we're on or well you know the world is so wayward today and people are so in the wrong place and there's so many bad ideas and blah 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 that we begin to believe the gospel really doesn't have an impact no one's going to listen well that's not jesus it's not what he thought jesus sent these guys on his mission fast forward a couple of decades into the mission that paul is on jesus has a meeting not too many years after his disciples' meeting, in Acts chapter 26, Paul described this meeting with Jesus. Paul says, I, I said, who are you, Lord? And this is his moment of meeting him on the road to Damascus. And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you, listen, for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. Paul, I am sending you on a mission. I am giving you a life that's about this mission to the things which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you. What's the mission going to do? It's going to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So in John 17, Jesus is sending people on a mission. In Acts chapter 26, Jesus is sending people on a mission. 
in 2022, Jesus is still sending people on that mission. So Jesus has an idea that we're going to be living as missionaries. That kind of changes the way you think about your life, doesn't it? Because I know missionaries are this unique breed of human being. There's only a few of them. They're like unicorns or something. And they, they go to weird places and they do weird stuff. They're missionaries, for goodness sake. Uh, but, but we are missionaries in this world. We are on a mission. And Jesus prays for us to be on that mission. All right, so I, I want to give you a few ease to play with here. I'm going to call this our, our missional economy. A life that manages our energy, our eagerness, our expertise, and our expenses for the sake of the mission. So our energy, every one of us are living life with a limited resource called energy. You get 24 hours in your day. You have to use up a portion of it to sleep to eat. You have certain brain ability. You can fill it up with stuff throughout the day, but you, it doesn't have an infinite ability. It can't remember everything and it can't focus for forever. So you, you're going to use that up. You're going to focus on something during your use of the day in your life. You're going to engage things and it's going to take energy from you. So to be a missionary means that there's going to need to be some energy available to the mission. It can't just be spent on everything else. Eagerness. Eagerness has to do with what we pursue, what we treasure, what we dream about, what we seek after, the things that just capture us, a little ad on the side of the feed that, that makes us want to go check that out because that's exactly what we're interested in, which, by the way, Google and everybody else is designed to figure out what you're interested in, so they just constantly serve up the stuff you have an appetite for the things that you're interested in. And just, it just is amazing how it always finds you. But there's a, a sense of eagerness that the, the mission requires a certain sense of eagerness about the mission. You know, when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And he goes and he sells everything in order to have that treasure. That's eagerness, isn't it? This dude turned his life upside down for that purpose. The, the cares of life surround us, touch us all the time. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, how about you not worry about those things? Let your heavenly father worry about all that stuff that makes up your daily life. And this is stuff like what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. The stuff we need to do life. Okay, but don't, you don't need to worry about that. What you need to be focused on is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Your father knows you need him. He'll take care of those things. All right, so there is this eagerness element that what am I going to be eager about? What's going to jazz me up? What captures my attention and makes me want to pay more and more and more attention to that? Well, the mission needs to show up in our eagerness. The mission needs to show up in our expertise. What are you really good at? What do you know a lot about? Right? Whether you're young, old, it's easy to get incriminated in this, right? right? Right now, there would be lots of young people who could quote every statistic of every NFL quarterback uh, that's playing right now and going to play today and what the record is for that team and current, etc. but only could quote a couple of Bible verses. Right? Some of us have gotten older and we're good at something. We, we've gotten really focused and we, we're experts at something. We get good at something. And, and, and yet we can't figure out how to even pray in public, right? I mean, the Christians who can't pray in public, who can do all kinds of stuff at work, etc., can't figure out ever how to share the gospel with those who haven't heard, right? We're experts at things. The mission requires expertise, it means doing stuff that helps me to be on mission, learning some things, reading, studying, asking God for help, being intentional. All those things are expertise issues. Being on mission has expense. That means it lives in our finances, the way we spend our money. 
I don't, I'm, I'm overdue. I haven't preached on giving in forever. Um, but you have, you have two categories of giving in the scriptures. You have one category that God presents that sounds like rent to the creator. It has to do with, you know, not the building you live in, but the fact that you breathe God's air that he provided and eat his food that he provided and stand on his planet with gravitational pull that he maintains every day of life. And he's the landlord. He's the Lord who owns it all. And he comes along and he says, hey, you know that thing called the tithe? It's, it's my way of getting you to recognize everything you got comes from me. So how about you pay 10% of everything in your life back to me just to make sure you don't turn your back on me and you maintain a sense of this is all God's. Because I can tell you right now, the, the less you give to God, the more you take ownership of everything. And you think it's all yours. All right, so there's an expense side that's like that. And there's another expense element we give in the kingdom of God because we see an opportunity for the kingdom. And we give beyond 10%, we give toward those opportunities for the kingdom. So here we are getting to the end of the year, right? At some point, all of you who have, have given to the church this year, will send you a little report. We'll encourage you from for all the sacrifices you've made to help ministry take place here. But you're going to get a chance in the next week or two to stare at what kind of expense report do I have? So what you're going to look at is your missional expense report. What you spent on the mission that we're talking about being on together. You're going to look at that. And it may be that you're going to get to the end of this year and you're going to see a zero at the bottom. Or you're going to see something nominal like, you know, less than the tip you've been leaving at Starbucks every time you go. And that's going to say something to us about how weighty this mission is that we're on together. If the mission doesn't show up in your finances, it's not a big deal. So there is this sense, and I want to encourage you, that the, the church, we have, we've had the opportunity to participate in the mission in places that you are only going to bump into these people in heaven, where you have touched their lives by sacrificing and giving in faith to something. Right? I've got a couple of images. You guys should be getting a report um, from Sovereign Grace. Uh, we send it out on their behalf as well about Sovereign Grace missions around the world. So this would be a man named Jeffrey Joe in the Philippines. Uh, Jeffrey's been relating to Sovereign Grace for a number of years now. Jeffrey's more of an apostolic guy who oversees a network of churches that he has brought into Sovereign Grace. And so the men around him are Sovereign Grace pastors who have gone to visit and been equipping other men. They were there in order to ordain 10 elders in churches just back in October. And there's 15 more that they're working with to ordain next. Men who are going to invest in planting and uh, leading churches in the Philippines. So every time you give to Lakeview, we give a portion of what we get to Sovereign Grace in order to, to do these kinds of things. Let me see the next slide. This is in India, northern India, where uh, our partners in Sovereign Grace are, are relating to a ministry there that is wanting Sovereign Grace's influence and perhaps one day may join with us. And Sovereign Grace is what God is doing all over the world right now. Um, there's a, a Bible college that has planted over 100 churches out of it in northern India in the last 10 years. That this, is, this is the epicenter of where some of that's taking place in India that we have the opportunity to support. The reason why folks from Sovereign Grace can be there is because you guys are giving towards that. Let me see the next slide. Uh, you guys have been praying for this man in the middle and you haven't had a face to put to the name. Uh, our church alone has sent almost $25,000 to Ukraine to support what's going on in Ukraine. This is Michael, the, the uh, pastor in Dnipro. Uh, that's Mark Prater. Some of you guys recognize Mark's been to visit us here. Jeff uh, Perswell, who leads our pastor's college in Sovereign Grace, who were there ministering in Germany. Uh, just... Uh, several weeks ago, and, and Michael, who you guys have been serving through your prayers and through your giving in the ministry that's taking place in war-torn Ukraine. Uh, there are 
three individuals who have spent significant amount of time in this church. Some of them grew up in the church, were here forever. Billy Rays, Alan DeSherry, and Eric Schmaltz, who in February will be traveling to Nepal to work with a man named Barnabas, who is like Jeffrey Joe, who oversees a network of churches in the Himalayas. And Sovereign Grace is sending pastors to help equip their pastors for the work of ministry. So the mission that we were on, when Jesus said, go into all the world, in some ways we, we can go into all the world, can't we? Even though you may never leave Metairie or New Orleans to do it. There's a way for us to go into all the world. And that's part of our mission. Let me close with this thought. Not only did Jesus say, Father, don't take them out of the world. He said the opposite. He said, I'm sending them into the world. We're Americans, right? What do we we think that's going to look like when we're doing this into the world thing? What, What kind of expectations do we have for this mission that we're on? Carl Truman has written an interesting book recently called Strange New World. And it's an analysis of just how much the world around us in the West is shifting and changing. And what it's like to be on a mission into this world is interesting to hear as he describes the world. Listen to this thought. He says, many of us are familiar with books and movies whose plots revolve around central characters finding themselves trapped in a world where nothing behaves in quite the way they expect. Perhaps Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass might be the classic examples of this in children's literature. But this is a standard plot line in many other works, from Franz Kafka's The Trial to The Matrix series of movies. Dystopian confusion is a hardy perennial of our culture. Yet this phenomena is no longer confined to the fictional products of our day. For many people, the Western world in which we now live has a profoundly confusing and often disturbing quality to it. Things once regarded as obvious and unassailable virtues have in recent years been subject to vigorous criticism and even in some cases come to be seen by many as more akin to vices. Indeed, it can seem as if things that almost everybody believed as unquestioned orthodoxy the day before yesterday that marriage is to be between one woman and one man, for example, are now regarded as heresies advocated only by the dangerous lunatic fringe. That's a description of here. The here that Jesus came into, it wasn't like two steps away from heaven. This is so close to what I'm used to. It was crazy different, right? John picks up on something that is a shock factor, right? I don't think I put this in your outline. John chapter one, Jesus, the creator is described in John chapter one. He's the one who was there in the beginning, who through him, everything came into existence. And then verse nine says, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Everything, everything answered. Everything had been touched by him to even exist. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. When Jesus comes into this world, we didn't have to ask him, Jesus, what did you expect? on this mission. We, we are shocked sometimes. You ever have conversations with Christians who are shocked about the condition of the world? Come on, look in the mirror. You're probably have sound shocked at yourself, right? It's like, can you believe? Look at this newsfeed. Oh my gosh. Can you believe the laws now are changing? Oh, we're all freaked out. He came 
to his own. He had created everything. And he was a stranger. They ignored him. They walked past him on the street. The whole of creation didn't stop and say, we all came from you. All this belongs to you. They just bumped into him in a crowd and kept going. And that's the world that you and I live in. One more thought from Mr. Truman and I'll pray for us. He says, nor are the problems confined to the world out there. Often they manifest themselves most acutely and most painfully within families. Parents teaching their family traditional views of sex find themselves met with incomprehension by their children who have absorbed far different views from the culture around them. What a parent considers to be a a loving response to a child struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria might be regarded by the child as hateful and bigoted. And this is as true within the church as it is within wider society. The generation gap today is reflected not simply in fashion and music, but in attitudes and beliefs about some of the most basic aspects of human existence. The result is often confusion and sometimes even heartbreak as many of the most brutal engagements in the culture war are played out around the dinner table and at family gatherings. I know too well some of you have walked in exactly these spaces. Welcome to this strange new world. You may not like it, but it is where you live. And therefore, it is important that you try to understand it. Even more important that you stand in that paragraph and you overhear Jesus praying, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of this world. But as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, into the world, into the world. We just learned last week, sanctification is is about not being worldly. And the church made the mistake in the early centuries of thinking the way to rescue the church from being worldly is to disassociate itself from the world completely. And that created monasteries and monks and people who were serious about God. They got away from everything. The problem is that's not what Jesus prayed. He prayed, Father, send them into the world. And the world's going to do to them what it did to me. It's not going to appreciate. It's going to ignore. It may crucify some of them. What are, what are we ready for? What do we expect in this mission? It's not confirmation that you really are on God's mission because the mission goes easy. That's not confirmation. Maybe it's God at work in moments of the, of the mission. But, but we're on this mission in this world with the way that it is and all of its influence and all the ways that it touches us. But here's what I want to have us close and pray about. Maybe the the economy of our lives. When you live in America from a very early age, very child-centered universe in America, you are taught how unique you are, how special you are. And so you start to design your life around your own mission. You're on your own mission. You want to be around certain people. You want to avoid certain toxic people. You want to have certain opportunities. You want to be trained for that. You want to develop skills that somebody recognized early on in your life. None of that's wrong in and of itself. But it can train you to think that the mission of life is the one you script for yourself. And then Jesus comes along. And he says, Father, the mission I was on didn't have me sitting on a throne with all of creation centered on me, staring at me, honoring me for who I really am. You understand, Jesus' mission here on earth was seldom the world honoring him for who he really was. There were moments, even among Jesus' own followers, where it caught his attention. He whirls around and he says to Peter, oh, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. 
my father showed you that. Finally, somebody got right who I am. Living on mission, it could mean you're not living in the sweet spot of who you are. Father, blessing you doesn't mean that that your biggest dreams for whatever your version was meant to be are all coming true. Therefore, God's a good God now, isn't he? He deserves to be worshiped because everything's going well in my family. I've got a great paying job. I'm healthy. This, everything, everything's good. Everything that I ever longed for is good. I could come in here on Sunday morning and worship God. Oh, I'm loving God. The mission that you and I are on that's bigger than any other thing about our lives is like Jesus. It's a mission to restore fallen humanity to the Father, to reconcile man to himself. As Paul said, you have received the ministry of reconciliation. That is your mission. So can we ask, we're at the end of 2022, we're going to start 2023, we're going to start thinking about plans and ideas. Can we maybe look at our expense sheet? Look at our life. Look at our eagerness. Look at our expertise. Things that we're really good at and we know a lot about. And consider, Lord, is your mission touching those categories of my life? Let's stand up together. Jesus, we have been listening in on your prayers. And you are praying for us. Because you specifically said, I'm not just praying for these, but for those who will believe through their words. So Lord, you are praying for us in this John 17 moment. And you are praying that we not be taken out of the world, but that we be sent into the world. Whether we're teenagers here this morning or baby boomers, whether we're professionals working in a corporate office or we serve tables in a restaurant, whether we're moms who are raising children, but whoever we are, we are on a mission. You foresaw that mission. You prayed for us in that mission. Lord, you installed a sense of confidence by giving us power for this mission. That the words and our lives have unique power for this category of our existence. God, I pray you would flood us this morning with a greater sense of confidence and awareness. Others will believe through their word. They will believe through their word. Lord, let us stare into the face of our children. Lord, let grandparents here who are scared to death of this strange new world. And I totally get it. Staring at their grandchildren with a great deal of fear of what are my grandchildren going to believe in this world? Lord, would you arm every grandparent here to be on a mission? Be on a mission where prayers are powerful, where words and a life that's been lived well by them is powerful commendation of the gospel to their grandchildren. Lord, there are people in this room I'm married to one of them who are the product of a grandmother on mission. So Lord, join our hearts to the awareness that you're up to something in this world. You will close the door on this world in Revelation. But until that day comes, You have left us in this world. Why am I still here 44 years later? Because you have left me here on a mission. Not an easy mission. Not a cooperative mission. In a world that looks like it doesn't want to hear anything I have to say. But there are some here who are going to believe through my words. And our words. So, Father, would you awaken in us at the close of this year and on the way into a new year, Lord, a fresh sense of mission 
in every place we find ourselves. You have left us here for a reason. Lord, give us an eagerness and a longing and an expertise. Give us the energy that we need. Let us take it from other places. Let us participate in the kingdom coming around the world with the expenses of our finances. For Lord, we love this mission. As long as we are here, we are on this mission for your glory and for the good of those who will believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, if you're here this morning and and you have a need in your life for prayer, please come and join one of our prayer partners with you. Whatever it is, maybe holiday stress, it may just be some family situation, financial needs going on in your life. Let God meet you in an amazing way this morning. So come up and pray if you need some prayer this morning. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys watching soon, we hope. Love you guys. Praying for you.